Thank you, Gary, for reading our scripture. Thank you for being here this afternoon. We have been looking at the home and some of the dynamics that relate to the home, and today we're going to conclude our study. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we learn in the process of creating a home. Let me just begin by asking this question. This is directed toward those of you that are married. Did you have a lot to learn when you got married? Well, let me ask another question. Did you learn a lot when you got married? When I was in college, I remember one summer I took a language, and it was a quarter of language, four hours every day. And you talk about intense. Really, all I had to do was, all I had time to do, go to class and then study and eat, and that was about it. And it was a cram session of learning. Well, sometimes when you get married, you feel like you're learning on the fly. And there are things that you learn very, very quickly. It may not have been apparent at the onset of marriage. It may not have been the case when you were thinking about getting married. But once you got married, it's like, what have I gotten myself into? If you know what I mean. What I want to do in our study today is we think about the learning process in the home. First thing I want to just maybe spend some time and talk about is the partnership that exists in the home. And really the home is a partnership. Marriage is a partnership, isn't it? That's not to say that there aren't differing roles and responsibilities. We looked just a minute ago, as Gary read, where the wife is to submit to the husband as is fitting in the Lord. And of course, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Doesn't in any way diminish the importance of the woman or the wife because she is submissive in the home. But I think what God's saying is, in the grand scheme of things, the husband and wife have varying roles. But nonetheless, it is a partnership. In Genesis chapter 2, when God said in the long ago, it's not good for man to be alone, I'll make a helpmeet that is a suitable answer for man's needs. You remember God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. While in that deepened sleep, he made the woman from a rib. And then he brought her to the man. And the Bible says that Adam responded by saying, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. And then Moses said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, Cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And the word cleave there carries with it the idea of a gluing or cementing process. And I think underscoring the permanency of marriage. And you remember in Matthew 19 when Jesus was asked about divorce. And the response was, have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. They too shall become one flesh. And then he said, Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh. Now, what that says to me is that there is to be unity in the home. If there is not unity in the home, then real problems occur, don't they? We've looked at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 25, when Jesus said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. The husband and wife have to look at marriage as a partnership. And really, I think in many respects, if the marriage is going to be what it ought to be, 
The husband has to give 110% and the wife has to give 110%. That is, both have to give their very best for marriage to be what it ought to be. Now you remember the psalmist in Psalm 133. He said, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Many of us have seen homes that have been fractured and divided. And sometimes those homes have become destroyed as a result of any, any number of problems. But again, the idea is that we are to be united. What's the old saying? United we stand, divided we fall. We want our home to be what it ought to be. And then you add to that factor, or you add to the dimension of marriage, children. And sometimes children will, well, sometimes they'll play the mama against the daddy and vice versa. But if it's a partnership, and we understand that we're all working together for the common good of our home. You remember in John chapter 17 when Jesus prayed to the Father, about unity, when he said, Neither for these alone do I pray, but for all them that believe on me through their word, that they may be one. That ought to be the goal, not just in the Lord's church, but we could lift it out of its context and by way of application say, in the home. We need to be one. One in our thinking, one in direction, one in aim. What's the ultimate goal of every person who's a child of God? To go to heaven. If we're going to go to heaven, we've got to work together. We've got to encourage one another and build one another up. And in so doing, hopefully, prayerfully, we'll have a home that's blessed. Now you remember the psalmist said many years ago, except the Lord build the house, those who labor labor in vain. One of the reasons why many homes are faltering today is because they have not been built on the bedrock of divine truth. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, you remember He contrasted the wise and foolish builder. And He said, the wise man hears his teaching and does what? Obeys it. And as a result of that, that house can stand upon that firm foundation. So it's important for us to understand that in the context of the home, it involves a partnership. We're both in this thing together, and that would include the children. We're all on board together. We're all trying to work. I guess we might say we're trying to work for common ground, and we're trying to stay united. Now, there's a second thing I want to share with you. First, I think it's important for us to understand that the home is a partnership. But secondly, we've got to learn the personalities that make up that home. When you got married, were there things about your mate that maybe you didn't know? Maybe you did. But it's a learning process, isn't it? And you have to learn. You know, we have all been made in the image and the likeness of God. That's what Moses said in Genesis chapter 1. And while there are similarities between us, we're all different, aren't we? When David said, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139, talking about the fact that the human body and that which is within the human body, that soul, is a marvel 
But nonetheless, to understand that we are different in so many respects. We have differing personalities. And so it is incumbent on the husband and the wife to try to learn one another. Does that make sense? You, you've got to learn what is it that, make, that makes your mate tick. In other words, what's their thinking process? Now, when you're dating, in many respects, you learn a lot about your mate and you learn a lot about their personality. But I don't, I don't really think that you learn everything until you spend some time with them day in and day out, 24-7. And then you see things in a whole different light, sometimes for good and sometimes not so good, if you know what I mean. You've got to learn your spouse's hot buttons. Now, you know, there are certain things that I, I promise you, and you know it. There are certain things that you can say or do, and let me tell you what, it is game on, if you know what I mean. Well, you need to know that. And you need to understand that that. If your marriage and your home life is going to be what it ought to be in the eyes of God, you're not always over here pushing buttons to see what kind of response you can get. And then you've got to understand that every person, whether man or woman, has a quote-unquote breaking point. Now you might push somebody up to a certain point, but once you get to a certain point, you better stand back. Why? Well, let me tell you what. Your mate will unleash fury like you have never seen before. And the old saying, you don't want to make mama mad? Well, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? So learning the personality of the mate that you're living with and to understand that sometimes decisions and things that they do are a result of their background. Take, for example, if you marry somebody who's not a Christian, you can't expect them to look at life in some ways like you do. It may be that they're a new Christian and you've been a Christian for many, many years. Well, you've got to, you've got to allow for growth, don't you? And when we talk about personalities, we need strong personalities in the home. And again, you go back and you look at Abraham when God said in the long ago in Genesis chapter 18, For I know him that He will command His children and household after Him to do justice and righteousness. Now that's the kind of personality needed in the home today for the home to be successful. Or to have a Joshua who has the willingness and the courage to simply stand up and say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then when it comes to the mother or the wife, to have the heart and disposition of a Hannah who prayed desperately for a child, and when that, that prayer was granted, you remember what she said? As long as this child lives, he shall be granted or lent to the Lord. Well, what about Lois and Eunice, the mother and grandmother of Timothy? You remember them? Paul praised the genuine faith that dwelt first 
in Timothy's grandmother Lois, and then in his mother Eunice, and then he said that genuine faith resided in Timothy. How did that happen? I think it happened because you had godly women who were rocking the cradle and doing what they could to instill within him a measure of faith. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul would say, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. As a mother or father, the greatest information you can pass on to your children is the Word of God. And you know why? Because only God's Word can get them home. Children are a blessing, aren't they? You remember the psalmist said the fruit of the womb is his reward? It is a blessing to have in, in the home children. Now let me just say this very quickly. When we talk about personalities, children have different personalities, don't they? Now they may come from the same source, but they can sometimes be so different in how they look at life and how they deal with things. It might be that one's very calm and the other not so calm. Might be that one's level-headed, uses a lot of thought before making decisions, the other doesn't do so. As a parent, you've got to learn those personalities. And it may be the case that there is the tendency sometimes to show more affection toward one child than the other. Maybe to pick favorites. Remember Jacob? Back in the book of Genesis chapter 37, the Bible talks about in chapters 37 and 39 that Jacob loved his son Joseph more than all of his other brothers. Did they pick up on that? The Bible says they hated Joseph and they could not speak peaceably to him. Well, why? I think to some extent because they knew that he was the pride and joy of their daddy. So we've got to learn their personalities. And when we talk about personalities, it might be that in the disciplinary process that you discipline your children in different ways. You know, there are some children that you can just talk to them or say one thing to them and they get it. They're very tender-hearted. There are some children that you can ground, some it may be you need to apply the wood to the backside. There are some kids in our nation today that need some wood applied to their backside. Matter of fact, I would say that there are a lot of kids that need it. And if you don't believe me, just go to the grocery store, or go to Walmart or Target or some other place, and you'll see it. You'll see what I'm talking about. But again, to learn their personality. And then there is a third thing I want to share with you. And that is patience. How many of you have the perfect mate? I mean, your husband is perfect. Anybody got the perfect wife? No takers? I see one person. You heard about the fellow that somebody asked on one occasion, anybody know anybody perfect? This fellow raised his hand and he said, you mean to tell me that you know somebody perfect? He said, I sure do. My wife's first husband. (laughs) 
I don't know of anybody who is perfect. We might think we're perfect, but we all have flaws and we all make mistakes in life. Now we try to measure up, but we have to learn patience. And that includes learning how to deal with our mates. Sometimes your mate will ask you a question that in my mind, boy, you've been set up, if you know what I'm talking about. How do you like this? You think it, look, you think it makes me look good? Or how do you like my hair today? Let me tell you what, guys, you are on your own when it comes to answering those questions. It takes patience when, as, as partners in marriage, you don't see things alike. And when you rub the other the wrong way. So what, what's needed? Well, patience. You remember in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talked about the absolutes, those essentials in the faith. But then he talked about some attitudes that make for unity. And he talked about having a walk worthy of the Lord, of, of the calling with which they had been called by the Lord. He said, in all lowliness or humility, in gentleness or meekness, in long-suffering, and then he said, bearing with one another in love. There are times you're going to have to bear with your mate, and there are times when you're going to have to bear with or suffer long with your children. You know, when Paul said, and fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest, as he said in Colossians chapter 3, don't provoke them lest they become discouraged. We might have ideals for our children, but to understand they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. And sometimes that is a part of the growing process, isn't it? There are times when maybe they say something, they do something, and they get hurt. The prayer is that they learn from that. But we can be so hard and overbearing, and the expectation level can be unrealistic. And understand, look, they're going to make their mistakes. And you've just got to give them, you've got to give them a little bit of room to grow and to learn. Now, I'm not saying that you condone wrongdoing at all. But I am saying that you have to understand that in the context of the home, people are imperfect. Think for a minute about the church. You've got the divine side, the human side. The divine side is absolutely perfect, isn't it? But on the human side, the church is composed of whom? People. And people have problems and people have imperfections. You can't expect people in the church to be perfect. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You remember in 1 John chapter 1, John said that we're to walk in the light as He is in the light. And he said if we do that, the blood of His Son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The idea is that as long as we're living in harmony with the Word of God, then the cleansing blood of Christ is constantly availing in our lives. Well, in verse 
In verse 9, he said, But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you saying then that as a child of God, I should never sin? Because you remember over in 1 John chapter 3, John said, Whoever is born of God does not sin. His seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he's been born of God. I don't think he's saying that as a child of God, because we've obeyed the gospel, we're going to just be sinlessly perfect. But I do think what he's saying is that when we became a child of God, what we said was we're going to die to that old way of life through repentance. We're giving up that old way of living. But in 1 John chapter 2, John said, Little children, these things I write to you. Why? That you sin not. But he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father. In the home, mistakes are going to be made. It might be that there are things that are said in the heat of the moment that you'd like to take back. And you remember in Proverbs chapter 15, we talk about patience. The wise man said, a soft answer turns away wrath. Don't throw fuel to the fire. Sometimes we get in a verbal war and you cannot win. I think sometimes the best thing to say is don't say a word. Let it pass. Let it go. And if, there, if there's a conflict and if, if emotions are high, then I'd say, let it, let it rest. Set it to the side and pick it up when you have a calmer disposition, when you're thinking more clearly. In Proverbs chapter 31, you remember the wise man talked about that woman whose price was far above rubies. When I read that chapter, what stands out to me is the beauty of a godly woman and how she carries herself. But you remember he said in that context, she opens her mouth in wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. In the home, I want to suggest, if you want to really have a good home life and you want to have a really good relationship, Measure your words. And I would add to that. You kill your spouse with kindness. Anybody can be hateful and ugly and curt, discourteous. But you try to remember that you're not perfect, nor are they. Kindness is a great blessing in the home. And when breaches have been made in the relationship, or when problems arise in your own opposite ends, I want you to think about the words of Paul in Ephesians 4. Paul said, Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake forgave you. To have a spirit of forgiveness to remember that we're all human. We all need divine forgiveness and we don't want to let anything come between our relationship. 
If our children mess up, forgive them. If our mate messes up, forgive them. Do we ever get angry? Sure we do. Paul talked about that in Ephesians 4. He said, but in that context, you remember he said, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I've known of people that before they would go to sleep at night, they would resolve their differences. Now, maybe that's a possibility, maybe not, in your home. But try to be on the same page and try to the best of your extent to exercise patience with one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul, you remember, talks about some of the qualities of love. And in that context, he's talking about spiritual gifts and the fact that they would not be here forever. But he said, love suffers long, and listen to him, and is kind. He went on to say that love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, which leads me to a final thought. And that is in the context of the home, you have to have a persevering spirit. Whatever your differences, whatever your problems, whatever you face in this life, number one, face them together. You're stronger as a unit, you're stronger together than you are alone. In this world, look, you're going to face tough times. Your marriage is going to be tested from time to time. The relationship that you have with your children may very well be tested at times. I don't know of anybody that ever stays on the mountaintop forever, do you? David, we talked about David this morning, the king of Israel. And David had a lot of success in life. And David, in many respects, is the premier king in the history of the Israelite nation. But David found himself in the valley time and again, didn't he? So what I'm saying is there are joys and frustrations in life. There are successes and failures in life. What we have to do is learn to ride through those difficult times, relying on the Lord. We can't afford to give up, can we? One of the reasons why a lot of homes are not where they ought to be, and one of the reasons why a lot of homes have gone the way of all the earth in our culture today is because there has been no sense of perseverance. First sign of trouble, what happens? Ready to bail. I'm done. And yet Jesus said, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Divorce should not be an option. I understand that there are, there's a valid biblical reason for a person putting their mate away. and God gives them that privilege or right. But what I am talking about is sometimes friction develops between a couple. And then, before you know it, a cavern exists between the two. And so rather than staying together, what do they do? They walk away. That's not God's design. To persevere. You remember in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer 
encourages the saints in the first century to look back to that great, cloud, that great cloud of witnesses that have been spoken of in chapter 11. That is, those men and women who live by faith. And you go back and you read about those people. They faced any number of adversities. Now, were they successful at times in their life? Yes. But they faced a lot of problems and a lot of troubles and a lot of trials. When the first century church was born on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem, the church was born in a cradle of persecution. The Hebrew writer is writing to individuals that had a Jewish background. Some had already gone back to Judaism. Some were on the verge of doing so. And the writer there encourages them to run with patience or perseverance the race set before them. And here's the key. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Now, I don't know what kind of trials and tribulations lay before us. It might be that you're in the midst of a hurricane in your life right now. But I would say that if you want to try to come out on the other side, what you need to do is keep your eyes on the Lord. And that's true when it comes to marriage. No matter what happens, you keep your eyes on the Lord. Maybe you have a mate that delights in making your life miserable. And that's sad, but it happens. Don't let your mate destroy your faith in God or your faith in people. There are still good people out here. And God, as the psalmist said many years ago, the Lord is good, isn't He? David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But to persevere, one of the byproducts of trials in life is patience or perseverance. In James chapter 1, James said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience or perseverance. When Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, he was writing to Christians who were under siege. He talked about the trying of their faith being more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire. You will be tried by fire in this life in all probability. And it may be that your home life comes under attack and you face problems and troubles and trials. But don't give up. On a personal note, and I don't say this lightly, I am the product of a home. My mom and dad gave up. They gave up on their marriage. Shouldn't have, but they did. No reason to, but they did. Don't give up. I, I don't care how hard, how tough things are, please do not give up. You can make it with the Lord's help. You believe that? I believe you can make it. I don't care what kind of trial, adversity you face, you can make it. Marriage is like a triangle, isn't it? God at the top, the husband and wife at the other angles, the lower angles. That marital relationship will stay intact 
as long as the triangle doesn't turn into a rectangle. You got to keep it between you, your mate, and God. And then you add the children in, and you got a complete unit. My prayer is that all of us will be successful in our home life. Not to say we're not going to face troubled times, because we will. But we can't afford to throw in the towel. You learn a lot from what you face in life, don't you? You know, trials can make you stronger. Tough times can bring you together. Think about that when you face difficult days together. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study, to reflect upon the home and all the blessings of the home. And thank you, Father, for your wisdom in creating the home and the blessings that we enjoy. And Father, for those who struggle in their home life, we pray your richest blessings upon them. Give them the patience and perseverance, the understanding to go forward in love. And Father, we pray that as members of the church, that you would forgive us when we falter in the home, when we're not what we ought to be. Help us to be better. Help us to do, to do better. And Father, we pray that one day we might be together in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ, to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. You want to get the best start to a great life, it's in Christ, isn't it? So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. To willingly lay aside a life of sin, confess His name before others, as Paul talks about in Romans 10, 9 and 10. To be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then be faithful. Live in such a way so that you glorify God and that one day you can be with God. If you're here this afternoon and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, maybe your home life's not what you would truly desire, and you want the prayers of the church, I promise you we're not here to judge you. If you need the prayers of the church, we're happy to pray with you and for you. Whatever problems you may have, spiritually speaking, in your own life, we'd be happy to pray for you. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We would be delighted to do that for you today as we stand and sing.